This is part four in our From This Day Forward series. Uh, We've been asking the question, are great marriages possible? And the simple answer to that question is no. Uh, Not if you're going to do it your way, not if you're going to do it the world's way. Uh, But God, the creator, the creator of all mankind, has given us the owner's manual for life and for our relationships. And yet we seem to make it our goal to see how far we can run away from God, and then we wonder why it doesn't work. You know, this series is about returning to the standard that God has set for our marriage. And what you'll discover is is that God's way is not restrictive. God's way is life-giving. God's way, it, it brings life and enjoyment to your marriage when you do it His way. I mean, you can have a great marriage if you do it God's way. Now, that can be a hard bridge to cross if you've had a bad past. You know, that's why I like the title of this series, From This Day Forward. You know, it's a phrase taken right out of the marriage vows. Most of you have already vowed to do the stuff that we're talking about in this series. You just don't remember it or you don't realize what you said when you got married. Our theme verse for this series is out of Lamentations 3. Jeremiah the prophet is uh, pondering his past, and he says this. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. You know, you you may be thinking of painful things that happened in in your relationships as well. And, And not only in your marriage, but with your parents or with siblings or with friends or even with your enemies. We all have hurts and wounds from our past that impact our present and especially impact our relationship with our spouse. You know, we look back and, and those hurts and wounds and wanderings, it, it's just ouch and ick. I mean, I have things in my past that if I dwell on them, I, I just shudder. Yet, yet, this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Say that with me. I have hope. God offers you hope for a great, great marriage. You can have a great marriage, great kids, great life. Why? Because you're so great? No. No. It doesn't depend on you. It's because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed. It's because of God's great compassion and love for us that our past doesn't destroy us. For his compassions never fail. The Bible tells us that God delights in showing compassion, showing mercy to us. Too too many people think that God's greatest day is the day he can let you off the hook. That don't, don't picture God as up there just waiting to catch you doing something wrong so he can smack you around. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God loves you so much that he loves to pour out his mercy on you, to show you compassion. God's mercies, God's compassion, they are new every morning from this day forward. Past is past. Yeah, I'm sorry about it. I confessed it to God. I did all I could to make it right. And from this day forward, it's a fresh start. It's a new opportunity. And in this series, we're calling you to make five new commitments in your marriage starting today. On your screen, on your notes, five commitments. Number one is seek God. You can't have a great marriage if you don't have a great relationship with the God who created marriage. 
We can't put pressure on another human being to be for us what only God can be. You know, we're not looking for another person to complete us. We're not looking for another person to make us happy. When Katie and I got married almost 42 years ago, we made each other happy for about six weeks. And then we started making each other really, really miserable. I mean, I tell you, we had a real, it was a tough go for us as newlyweds for about a year. And I even wondered if we were going to make it. I was 18, Katie was 12. And, um, and we quickly realized that our happiness needed to come from God, not from each other. And I'll tell you, after 41, 42 years, I'm tremendously happy in my marriage. I'm tremendously happy with my wife, but she is not the source of my happiness. God is. And I'm not the source of her happiness. God is. We're just happy together uh, with what God is doing for us. We we don't put that pressure on each other because neither one of us can deliver. We put that pressure on God because great is his faithfulness. And so you've you got to seek God first. And number two, we commit to fight fair. Second week of the series, we, we realized that in marriage, fights can be constructive, not destructive. And if you weren't here that week, or even if you were here that week, you ought to get a copy of the CD or listen to it on, online, because I guarantee you there's a fight in your future. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it goes. And, and, in, and if you're going to have a great marriage, you've got to learn to fight fair. Never call names, never say never or always, never raise your voice, never get physical, never get historical, never threaten divorce, never quote the Bible or your pastor to prove your point. Leave me out of it, okay? Just fight fair, fight fair. Number three, we have to commit to have fun. God wants you to enjoy life with your wife. God wants you to enjoy life with your husband. Listen, God could have made the physical aspect of marriage purely mechanical, purely procreational, but he didn't do that. He made it pleasant. He made it fun. He made it recreational, you know, and that works in our favor within marriage, and it works against us outside of marriage, because that's why we have to do the thing we're talking about today, and that is stay pure. And whether you're male or female, young, old, single, married, God calls you to make the commitment to stay pure. Next week, we're going to close out the series by looking at never give up. Great marriages have the security that when it's not working out, you're not going to walk out. You know, if it's not working, you don't walk out, you fix it. You fix it. You can't sustain a marriage under the constant pressure that if something goes wrong, somebody's bailing. Great marriages endure. Hebrews 13:4. let's look at this together. It says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. I mean, what's the reason for the emphasis on maintaining honor and purity in marriage? Is it because God is restrictive? No, no. God's not sitting up in heaven trying to figure out how to make life miserable or hard for you. You know, he's not thinking, oh, I'll give them this rule, that'll teach them. No, that's not what he's doing at all. Everything in the Bible was written for your benefit. Everything, it's not written to deny you pleasure, it's written to bring you to the place of greatest pleasure. 
And God wrote some standards of purity that many people today just dismiss. Uh, Even people who call themselves Christians. People think, eh, nobody's waiting until they get married to have sex anymore. You know, especially if you've made a mistake and been sexually active or if you've been married and divorced. What's the point of purity? You lost it, you lost it. No, God says among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Why does he say not even a hint of it? Because he knows that if you cave in on the little things, it's a slippery slope that leads to destruction. And that's exactly what we're experiencing today. Because we've allowed far more than a hint into our lives, and now it's like it doesn't even matter. That is not God's will for your life. First Thessalonians says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Sanctified means pure. That you should avoid sexual immorality. And the Greek word there for sexual immorality, it's, it's not two words, it's one word. It's a very technical term, and the meaning is extremely clear. There's no ambiguity about what it means. It means any sexual activity outside of a marriage between one man and one woman. Any sexual activity outside of a marriage between one man and one woman. That's the standard that God calls each one of us to rise to. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. I mean, it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come naturally. You have to learn to control your body. You can't let your body control you. And and there's that concept of honor again. Honor the marriage bed. Honor God with your body. Not, Not in passionate lust like the heathen. You don't base your life on your feelings. You base your life on God's facts. You don't base your life on your appetites. You base your life on God's authority. You don't base your life on your desire. You base your life on God's design. Because if you're just following your feelings, then you're living like people who do not know God. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. One more verse to show God's really serious about this. He says, flee from sexual immorality. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Your body was bought with the precious life, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Doesn't even belong to you anymore. Therefore, honor God with your body. And every person in this room has to come to the point where you decide, are you going to live life based on what you think and feel? Or are you going to live life based on what God says? It's a choice. It's a decision that you've got to make. To illustrate this, I, I've, got, I've got some firewood here and some gasoline and some matches, and I want to just build a little fire here on the, on the platform. And uh, it's worked well on the other services. I hope it works well on these. And, um, you know, you know a fire is, is one, fires are warm and they're beautiful and, and they can be fun. And, uh, you know, for a guy especially, I mean, they're just something in a guy that we like to burn stuff up. And... Um, and you may be wondering about my mental health right now. But, and it's not because you have a problem with fire. It's because you have a problem with the location that I've chosen for the fire. 
I mean, if we were outside, you'd all be real relaxed about this little experiment. But inside, you're kind of looking for your nearest exit. And it's not because of of the fire itself. The concept of fire doesn't bother you. It's the containment of the fire in this location that bothers you. Is this the proper time, the proper place, the proper method for a fire? Same is true with passion. You know, God wants you to have passion. God wants you to burn with passion. Passion is great. Passion can warm up a relationship. Passion uh, is a beautiful thing in the right place. Passion can be fun. And so God wants, wants you to... There's nothing wrong with passion. It's just wrong to have passion in the wrong place. Passions aren't the issue. Containment and control is the issue. Passion needs parameters. And the key is to express our passion in the right place. And God clearly says that that right place is one man, one woman, in their marriage. You know, what, what if you took all your passion, what if you took those urges, those feelings, those desires, those appetites, what if you took those and turned them into devotion for your spouse? What if instead of wasting all that energy on the counterfeit relationships and all the junk that the world offers, what if you turned all of that into devotion to your spouse? What would happen in your marriage? You know, what happens if you build the fire in the right place? A fire in a fireplace warms the house up. Fire outside the fireplace burns the house down. You know, God has a standard that he set for our passions. Galatians 5 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. I don't let my passions run free. I've contained them in the cross of Christ. I use them in the place that he tells me to use them. So I'm going to give you four things that will build some parameters around your purity today. The first one, make a commitment to God's standards. I'm just calling anybody who claims the name of Christ to come back to his standard. Because we're living in a culture that's telling us that we need to change. We need to change our standards in the church to match the standards in the culture. And we can't do that. Because as believers, our hope rests in what God says in his word. Not what people in our culture tell us. Whether it's some actor or musician or president or Supreme Court. You know, they didn't make me. They didn't die for me. They can't save me. They can't even kill me and make it stick. Not if I'm following Jesus Christ. So the question is, what are you going to do at the point of temptation or confrontation? Because it's what you do at the point of temptation or confrontation that determines if God is really your God or not. He's not your God if he can say something that you disagree with and you decide you're not going to do it. But he is your God if he says to do something that you disagree with and you surrender your will and you obey him anyway. God has exclusive rights to determine the containment. 
God has exclusive rights to determine where the parameters are. We don't get to make up the rules. We just get to follow them. And people will ask me, you know, what do you think about the sexual issues of our day? And I'll just tell you what I think. I think it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God says. Because I have crucified my passions and desires to the cross of Christ. You know, we've got to get over that what we think and feel is so important. And we've got to surrender to the God who made us, saved us, loves us, knows what's best for us. How can a young man keep his way pure? Only one way. By living according to your word. You've got to make a commitment to God's standard. Number two, to stay pure, I must manage my mind. Your life is controlled by your mind. It starts in the mind. There's no such thing as a one-night stand. I mean, you were thinking about it long before the night that it happened. It wasn't a one-night stand. It was a two-week stand. That's what it was. Because at some point, the thought entered into your mind, either through the eyes or through the ears. That's why you've got to monitor your media intake. You have to. You don't manage temptation when it shows up. You've got to decide long before it gets there what you will and will not let into your mind through your eyes through your ears what you will and will not do because it looks good and it looks good but it's got a hook in it because it's bait don't bite it don't bite it and if you don't have some sort of filter on your internet or some sort of accountability that you know every somebody knows every click you make you're setting yourself up for failure job said i made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully on a girl. Psalm 101, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. I make a proactive decision ahead of time, ahead of the temptation, ahead of the confrontation. I put some parameters, some guardrails around my life. I have filters on my phone. I have filters on, on, on my internet. I read movie reviews before I'll go see a movie. And I don't read it to find out if they think it's good or not. I read it to find out if there's any obscene content in there, and if there is any, I don't go. You might, oh, Pastor, are you that susceptible to temptation? God says I am. God says if I think I'm not, I'm worse off than I thought. God tells me to flee, flee sexual immorality. And listen, if an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God tells me to flee I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to flee. Especially when God has given me a wonderful place to experience and express my passions within my marriage. I don't have the time, energy, or inclination for anyone else because I just take that passion and turn it into devotion to my wife. And if you're single, I'd encourage you, Turn all that energy into serving God. And you think, oh, that sounds so corny, that sounds so pious. Yeah, but it works. It'll protect your purity and it'll get, lead you into a pleasant, productive life. Won't destroy you like the other stuff will. Don't let anybody or anything steal your passion. Why? Because the consequences are great. Number three, you, you need to magnify the consequences. Magnify the consequences. If I'm ever tempted, I just think through the, uh, how I would have to go to my sweet, beautiful wife, look her in the face, and tell her what I did. 
I would have to go to my three wonderful kids and their marvelous spouses and tell them what I did. I would have to look at my six innocent grandchildren and explain to them what I did. I would have to stand here in front of you and explain to you what I did. I'd have to contact my my, uh, pastor buddies and my ministry partners and explain to them what I did. And I would have to explain to the one who made me and saved me and called me and loved me what I did. You feel the weight of that? I feel it. And there's no temptation that's worth all that. The man who commits adultery lacks judgment. He's not managing his mind. Whoever does so destroys himself. And I'm not going to destroy myself, destroy my wife, destroy my kids, destroy my grandkids, destroy the testimony of this church, destroy my relationship with with other pastors, destroy my relationship with God. I'm not going to give the critics of Christ and the church the ammo to say, see, look at him, that's what they're really like. It's not worth it. I'm not going to do that. In fact, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to not do that. Satan's ploy in all of this is to magnify the benefits of the temptation and minimize the consequences. You see that in the world all the time. They magnify the benefits of all this. I mean, they're all the time talking about how all this nudity and obscenity and all this smut and stuff, why, well, it's just free expression. It's just art. It's culture. It's just, oh, it's great. It's wonderful. Oh, it's wonderful. And then as soon as you look at it, bam, you're a pedophile. You're a pervert. You're a creep with pornography on his computer. Well, then why are they making all that stuff? Because it's a trap. And Satan magnifies the benefits and minimizes the consequences. He, he, he tells you, oh, it won't matter. Everybody's looking at it. Everybody does it. You won't get caught. It'll feel great. People do it all the time. He maximizes the benefits and he minimizes the consequences until you do it. And once you take the bait, he flips it on you. And all of a sudden, there's no benefit. It doesn't feel good anymore. And he just heaps on the guilt and the shame and the accusations and he magnifies the consequences. You've got to beat him at his own game. We've got to quit being stupid and foolish about this junk. We've got to beat him at their own game. And the way you do that is you minimize the benefits. It ain't worth it. And you maximize the consequences. Fourth way to establish parameters is you've got to maintain proper relationships. I have to nurture the good ones and get away from the bad ones. And I learned a long time ago that if I wasn't madly in love with Katie, then every day I would be tempted by other sources and influences. But the more I nurture my love for her, the less I'm pestered by that stuff. And I don't spend my time saying, don't quit, don't look, bad pastor, bad pastor. I don't do that. I just spend my time focusing on her. I mean, there's only one woman that's lighting my fire. And I thank God that that she recognizes that for this to work, she's got to respond to me. She's got to respond to my approach. She's got to be available to me. And and so I want to be as kind to her as I can, so she'll keep being available. And as she's available, I'm more kind, and she's more available, and I'm more kind, and she's more available. And, man, it's just wonderful. 
Ladies, if you want your husband to be a one-woman man, you got to be that woman. You're the one. You're the, you are the only outlet that God has given him. You're the only outlet he's got. And so you want to maintain that proper relationship. You want to maintain a proper relationship of accountability and with other people. I mean, guys, you want to get around other guys who are committed to purity. If you're spending your time with with guys who are talking trash and looking at smut, you need to get away from them. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Ladies, if you're hanging out with with a bunch of ladies who are trashing their husband and don't honor their marriage, you need to get away from them. You need, to, you need to move, put people in your life who honor their wife, honor their husband, honor uh, marriage. Now, I don't know where you're at in this, but probably your, act, your reaction is one of three responses. And, and the first response is typically defensiveness. I mean, you start talking about purity or pointing out impurity, usually the first thing that happens is the defenses go up. Pastor, it's not that bad. I mean, I've been doing this all my life. I I can manage this. I can handle it. God says you can't. You don't understand, Pastor. You you have a nice wife. I got a mean one. (laughs) And you're just coming up with every reason to justify whatever it is that, that you're doing, why you are the way you are. Yeah, I know we're not married, you know, we're living together, but it's cheaper, and, and, but we love each other, and you know, marriage license, that's just a piece of paper. And you know, besides, we're going to get married someday. In reality, that's a defense against you surrendering your will to what God clearly says. And I'm not trying to be judgmental, I'm not trying to be rude or flippant here, I'm really trying to help you. I really am. And I just want to encourage you to soften your heart to God and His Word and surrender to what He says. And if you're living with somebody or if you're involved with somebody and you're not married, then either step up and get married quickly or move out until you do. Stop it until you do. Because whatever the reason is for you not to get married, you need to fix it. Or it will destroy your relationship down the road. Because if it's strong enough to keep you from doing what God has clearly told you you need to do, then if you don't fix it, it's going to be strong enough to destroy your relationship later. Don't defend it. Fix it. Fix it. Do what God tells you to do. Now the second response to this is often remorse. I mean, you'll hear this and go, oh, pastor, you're right. I've done all these bad things. I've done wrong stuff. I'm worthless. I'm dirty. I'm hopeless. I'm a hopeless sinner. And if that's how you're feeling right now, it's not coming from me, and it's not coming from God. It's coming from the devil. The devil wants you to feel that way. The devil wants you to feel dirty and helpless and hopeless in your sin. That's part of him magnifying the guilt and shame. That's not the message God has for you. That's not the message I have for you. There are two words in the Bible about this stuff. One is condemnation and one is conviction. God does one, the devil does the other. The devil does condemnation. Condemnation is when the devil says to you, you're a sinner, you're dirty, you're worthless, you're stuck. That's condemnation. 
God doesn't do that. God does conviction. Conviction is, hey, wait, 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 wait. You don't want to do that. That's wrong. Come over here and do this. Let me help you. That's conviction. Well, no, no, wait, wait, wait. That's wrong. Don't do that. Come over here and do this. I'll help you. God forgives our sin and helps us to forsake our sin and do the right thing. That's why the, the proper response is the third one, and that's repentance. Repentance is where you say, God, you're right. I, you know, I, I change my mind to agree with God, and then I change my behavior to be what God wants it to be. That's what repent means. It doesn't mean to be sorry. It means to change. Last verse on the screen, on your outline. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Godly sorrow causes you to change your mind, change your behavior, which leads to salvation, a way out, a new way of living, no regret. If you will make the commitment to purity and you will move to do what God tells you to do, you will have no regret. In fact, you will wish you would have done it sooner. You'll wish you would have done it sooner. But you dig your heels in and you refuse to change, you get defensive or you just feel worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is, you know, you, oh, I feel so bad about this, but I'm not going to change. Worldly sorrow brings death. Why do so many marriages die? Why do so many live-in relationships die? Why do so many dating relationships die? Because we refuse to do them the way God tells us to do them. Oh yeah, we're sorry about it. We've got remorse. Or maybe we'll defend it. But God says, you, you need to quit being sorry and start being obedient. Make the change. Let's pray together. As we close in prayer today, I, I want to just invite you to just ask yourself a very simple question. Just say, Holy Spirit, what are you, what are you telling me? What are you telling me to do? And God, I would just pray that you would give each person the courage and the wisdom that they need to make a fresh commitment to your standard. And if you're involved in an improper relationship, I just pray and ask God, don't, God say, from th don't wait till tomorrow, from this day forward, right now, today. God, I'm going to break it off. I'm going I'm to do the right thing. And maybe you need to have a, a conversation with your spouse or, or, or with a friend. And, and if you're on the receiving end of that conversation, you just need to extend the same mercy, the same forgiveness that God extends to you. And today, whether, whether you're far from God or there's just a hint, you've just let in just a hint. God says, make a fresh start of it. Give your life to Christ. He's not your religion. He's your God. And change your mind to agree with him. Change your behavior to obey him. And he will bless you beyond what you ever imagined. God, we thank you for the hope that there is in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.